What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, it's Dan Favalli. Remember to search Blue Wire Buckets in iTunes or Spotify for more NBA content. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli coming at you without either of my co-hosts today, Mo DeKeel and Andrew D. Bailey. As we continue our off-season deep dives into every single NBA team, though, I am super excited to be joined by Stefan No. He is an NBA analyst and contributor for The Athletic Chicago. He writes a lot about the Chicago Bulls. He actually just wrote a fantastic piece, dropped on Monday morning, about their selection of Kobe White and gave a really good detailed scouting report on what to expect from him on offense and defense as well. I suggest you go check it out. If you are not following him on Twitter, remedy that post-haste. He is at Steph No. That's at S-T-E-P-H-N-O-H. That's at S-T-E-P-H-N-O-H. So be sure to follow him. Um, Stefan, how you doing? I'm doing great after that uh, that intro. That was very nice. Thank you. No problem. Um, I... Confirm the pronunciation of your name before we started. I am the worst at pronunciations. And so even <laughs> when I try and do research beforehand or I'll listen to podcasts that guests are going to be on, I stop, I somehow still manage to to mess it up. It's it's absolutely amazing how bad I am at them. Well, you got mine right, so I appreciate that. Um, so the Bulls, though, uh, they're I think they're in line to have an interesting offseason. We already went through the draft. The one question I wanted to sort of start with you though was what you what did you think of the the Boylan extension I know he was sort of this punchline amongst NBA Twitter but it did seem at least me who's a zillion miles removed from the Bulls that the tenor around the locker room seemed to change by the end of the year and then Kobe White comes out after he's drafted and says he he loves uh, the coaching style of Jim Boylan that type of head coach so did you have any strong feelings toward their decision to extend Boylan were you surprised not at all surprised anything along those lines can't say that I was really surprised. Uh, the Bulls really had his back throughout the year, even when you know he was doing some, some of these ridiculous things when he first started. This near mutiny of the team. The the Bulls were always um, very supportive of him. I was really nervous when they first announced that they were signing him to this extension. I wrote something at the at the Athletic explaining why I was not behind the move, but. You know, I'm trying to talk myself into it now. I'm trying to be a little bit more optimistic when we at least have some reason for hope before the games start. And one thing that I really liked that the Bulls did was they said they were going to upgrade the assistant coaches on staff. They got Chris Fleming from, uh, he was previously with the Nuggets and the Nets to improve the offense. And that was a big problem area for the Bulls. They got Roy Rogers from the Houston Rockets. He's been a good player development guy for them. So I think that some of these weaknesses that Boylan had, he had the team playing at this ridiculous pace to start the year. He was moving in the right direction too. He sped things up as the year went along. In fact, they got this uh, very bright assistant coach uh, from the Nets. I think there's, you know, I'm starting I'm starting to feel a little bit better about it. Is there, Do you think there's anything that he did to sort of, again, it seems like at least Zach Levine was sort of in favor of him by the end of the year. Was there anything specific that you think happened towards the end of the season that might have tipped the scales among more players in his favor? It kind of seemed like Mark Nid might have warmed up to him, unless I'm just completely wrong there. Well, it's two things. First of all, he changed his strategy right around. They went on this uh, five-game West Coast road trip where they got pummeled in every single game, and uh, Boylan after that decided to let these guys run a little bit more. He went with this uh, multiple ball handler system that worked really well for them where whoever got the rebound, they would grab and go. So they would get a chance to initiate the offense, which I think the players liked. It's, you know, it's fun when you get the ball in your hands. And then the second thing 
is they started winning. <laughs> they <laughs> actually played way better in February. And, you know, the more freedom on offense, winning games, that's going to do a ton to drastically improve the morale of the team. And uh, unfortunately, a bunch of guys got hurt in March for the Bulls and their season uh, ended on a sour note. But there there were some flashes of potential there. And I think the relationship did improve a lot between Boylan and his players. There's, I was, uh, of those injuries, I really wanted to see what a Porter, Markman, Wendell Carter Jr. front court was going to look like. That's something I'll obviously ask you about. But the injuries robbed us um, of that one. So Kobe White, though, uh, and I, I had, when I sent you a list of notes, I said, I'm not sure how deep you've gone into Kobe White's game. And then you just published like the super in detail post on him right before the podcast. So that worked out. Um, were you surprised they, not that they took him, that he was available. Were you surprised that they didn't maybe trade up or, or out of that pick? Or did you always expect them to stay uh, there at number eight? Uh, <laughs> the Bulls have a reputation of being kind of lazy in the draft. So I wasn't surprised that they stayed at the pick. I actually thought that was the right move, though. Um, you know, and this uh, this was considered a pretty weak draft, so I didn't really see the point of attaching a lot of assets to move up. Although the Timberwolves, you know, they were able to get to six, and all they had to attach was Sarge. So if that was the price, then maybe you could make a case for moving up. Moving down, I, I liked a lot too because felt like the prospects uh, in you know the the middle of the drafts were fairly close together so i'd rather have two shots than one but yeah taking white you know he was he was the guy that most people had as best player available when the bulls picked so i thought it was a fine pick um can't really expect them to do much in this draft with the number seven pick and um yeah i said number eight because i'm an idiot so they take kobe white at at number seven and do you think after you went into the weeds on him uh how do you think his game is going to translate to the Bulls. I know people are excited about his scoring um, and what he can do as a catch-and-shoot guy. Do you see him being, um, like, have you seen traces of maybe being that franchise playmaker? Um, do you think it's going to be a clean offensive fit next to Zach Levine? Well, first of all, the thing you have to keep in mind is, you know, he's a, he's a one-and-done freshman. Uh, point guard is, I think it's, you know, by far the hardest position to learn, so it's really hard to project exactly what he's going to be uh as far as like his rookie year i think that he is probably going to struggle a little bit uh the stuff that i saw at north carolina i think he's a really good shooter like he only hit 35 percent of his threes there but i feel like that number is a little bit deceiving because the shots that he was taking he has to clean up his shot selection he was, relies a ton on pull-up jumpers a lot of like step back threes so actually like on his catch and shoot opportunities he was in the 93rd percentile per synergy so i think that's the role that the bulls envision him a little bit more with you know they have a really ball dominant guard already in zach levine who he was able to do some playmaking for the bulls last year as well uh they they struggled because chris dunn uh was starter he is not a three-point threat at all shoots an okay percentage but it's just so hesitant his volume is not there so if, if white can you know, just spread the floor a little bit, get some gravity. I think that is going to be a large part of his offense with the Bulls, and I think he's going to do really well in that role. This is a premature question, but if you had to pick now, and assuming that, you know, I don't even know who they would necessarily sign in free agency, that would change this, but do you think Kobe White ends up being the starting point guard for them on opening night? I don't. I don't think so. I think they're still going to sign a veteran to mentor him. Now, if you ask me who's going to be the starter at the end of the year, I think there's a much bigger chance that White is that guy. I mean, I just think the right move for them is probably to bring him along slowly. And that's been kind of their MO in past years. Larry Markinen started off his rookie year just destroying people, but he was never going to be the starter. The reason why he started was because <laughs> Bobby Portis and Nikola Miritich <laughs> were both out for the season as like their whole, you know, power forward rotation. And then Wendell Carter, they brought him along really slowly too. They were, uh, I, actually, I can't remember if they started Carter or not. They were going to start Lopez, but he was so, I think what happened was he was so bad in the preseason. Lopez came into the year out of shape. So they did, let uh carter start but yeah generally the bulls have been pretty uh cautious with their rookies so i think they'll probably continue that with white you wrote as well that you're not as concerned about white's defense as everyone else do you think i guess at least early on it it probably is going to end up being a problem 
just because he is going to be a rookie. But if you look at a long-term defensive fit with Zach Levine, um, you know, Kobe White's not, he has good size, but he's not particularly long. I think he's a 6'4 wingspan. And so is that something that's a concerning thing long-term? Or do you think that those, if, you know, you wrote a lot about Kobe White's effort and ability to get back into plays, is that something that maybe, since he has those virtues, that you might see this then being a tenable fit defensively in the backcourt? I'm not a huge draft guy. Um, and I was I was pretty surprised when I saw that White's defense was kind of being ragged on a lot because I I did watch a lot of Morant and some of Garland just because the Bulls were, you know, probably going to target point guard in the draft. And those guys are terrible defenders. I mean, they have no <laughs> no effort whatsoever. I think they have better raw skills like Morant. You know, his steals uh, numbers were pretty good. And if you watch his highlight videos, I mean, I guess he makes like a bunch of highlight plays. But like, like both of those guys were not engaged at all. They would just stand totally upright. They would never be in a stance. Wouldn't really guard anyone. At least with White, you know, the effort is there. I think that's something that's not really... Uh, it's very difficult to coach that into guys. Like they're either going to want to play defense or not generally. And white at least has that. So I think, I think that's like a really good foundation to build on. Now he's not like a super athlete or anything. And you talked about the wingspan. It was kind of concerning when, when he was playing defense at UNC, uh, guys would just shoot right over him. And then when, uh, you know, he had to guard players who are driving into the paint. He did not affect their layups at all, but I think you can still be a pretty good defender, especially at the guard position, if you're just in the right spot at the right time. And he's uh, very willing to play good team defense. He's not a ball watcher, which I think is another thing that's really hard to coach out of guys. So just with those uh, you know, basic instincts and the desire, I think that he can at least get to average. Promise I won't keep you inside the draft much longer, and I don't like to harp on second-round picks, but were you, when they took Daniel Gafford at number 38, it's a fit because they seem like they or they do need backup bigs. I just he really can't play forward to me in the NBA. And while he did cut down on his foul problems in his second year in Arkansas, I feel like he'll be in a ton of foul trouble at the five. And so, independent of him, were you maybe surprised that they didn't go with one of the wings that might have been on the board, or did you think that this might have always been a spot for them to to target uh, another big guy or someone to put in the front court? Well, what they said, um, I think uh, Casey Johnson wrote this in one of his stories, is they felt pretty comfortable with their wing depth with Denzel Valentine and Chandler Hutchison, which I think is kind of crazy. Like Both those guys are not proven at all. Is Denzel Valentine even a wing? I always feel like he's a guard. I know he's played small forward, but is he even a wing? (laughs) The Bulls are so bereft of wing talent that, uh, yeah, they've been playing Valentine at the three. for a lot of his career, but uh, they they did have this need at backup big. So you know, 38th pick in the draft, can't really hate them for taking a flyer on Gafford, who had this first round grade last year and then didn't really improve as a sophomore. I think he's he's a pretty limited player though. Like I was uh, watching some of his games too, and uh, his free throw form looks terrible. He's only hit 56 percent of them. I don't think that he has much chance of developing like a strong outside shot. So he's going to be primarily a rim roll rolling guy. I thought he set pretty good screens at least. And, you know, he is a really good vertical athlete. The Bulls haven't had a guy like that since Taj Gibson, really. So um, I think it'll at least be fun to watch. You know, he can get up there and have some nice dunks and stuff. And uh, the Bulls have a, obviously, you know, they have Markinen and Carter as the building blocks of their team. So it's not like they need a guy, you know, who's going to be a, a star in that role. If you can just give him solid 20 minutes, I think should be a pretty nice pick. Guys are terrible at taking care of their health. Whether it's a knee injury, bad back, or something worse, guys are usually more comfortable rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. The same is true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to chat with a doctor online. With Roman, you can get medical care for ED right in the comfort and privacy of your own home. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. If your doctor decides that treatment would be appropriate, they can prescribe medication that will be delivered in discreet packaging right to your door with free two-day shipping. 
Guys, go talk to the doctor. Erectile dysfunction can be tough to tackle, but it's really important to get checked out. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. Here's the question that I was really itching to ask. Is Zach Levine just on a national scale officially underrated? I know bigger names that are coming from pretty bad teams. There's sometimes a stigma there, but it just feels like we're still talking about him or that he's still being talked about as on a bad contract where I don't know that you can call it a good contract, but you know, 19.5 million a year for what he does seems about market level. And he just, I I mean, I know there are still holes to nitpick in his game, but he hits almost 37% of his pull up threes last year, got to the rim at a career high frequency, uh, ran a ton of pick and rolls. I think he was one of the most seven, uh, one of the seven players who ran the most pick and rolls in the league last year per game. And he was getting drawn shooting fouls out of them about as often as Luka Doncic and more than Jimmy Butler. Is this just, is the perception of him now just a matter of his being miscast as a primary playmaker? I think that he might be underrated. Uh, as an offensive player, overall, though, I've just never been a huge Levine fan. Um, yeah, on on offense, he was basically carrying the Bulls team, but you know they're the 29th offense last year. Not sure how much you can take from that, but he is a. He, I think you talked a little bit about yes, yeah, his ability to get to the line and his drives. He he's pretty unstoppable when he just puts his head down and decides to get to the rim and his pull up threes. Also, pretty solid there. That's kind of like the ideal one-two combo that you want uh, in any player these days. Uh, it's just uh, those two things are, you're able to play so well off of. Uh, th- and the reason why I'm not like a huge Levine fan in general is, you know, his his defense has just been totally atrocious the entire time that he's been on the team's advanced stats have never really been great he still had a negative rpm this year a negative 0.5 which is actually the best in his career doesn't really have great instincts on either side of the ball but the things he does well he does really really well and i think you know the contract that you talked about i think you're right that i was not a fan of that contract when he first signed it but it's it's looking like you know a decent deal now i think he he might you could even make the argument that he might be underpaid at this point and um, for anyone who saw behind the curtain, my work phone rang, and then the scouting video from your athletic article that I had open started playing randomly. So I apologize <laughs> for that interruption. Um, um, so, Levine, do you think that there is – because with Kobe White, I'm not sure – You know, even you said maybe he doesn't start right away. Perhaps he'll sign a veteran. So I guess that we it would, be, it would stand to reason that Levine's then workload as that pseudo-point guard should diminish. But do you think there's also something to – you know, he had one of the just uh, lowest pass percentage on drives last year among high volume guys. Is do you think that putting more like better spacing around him, or just better players in general, maybe as these, um, you know, Larry Markkinen's getting better, Wendell Carter Jr. if he's healthy and um, getting better, that that this is something he can build upon, or do you think he's always going to have that sort of tunnel vision cachet about his game? I think that he's a willing passer, but yeah, he just he hasn't been played with very good teammates. So if you improve the teammates, uh, yeah, I, I think he will be willing to pass. He he definitely does get tunnel vision at times, especially at the end of games. But uh, what teams would do this year is they would just constantly blitz him because the Bulls had nothing else behind him. He was willing to make that dump off pass and let the Bulls, um, you know, play a four on three behind him. So yeah, I I think that uh, he has a reputation perhaps as a little bit of a selfish player. And I think that's probably not very well deserved. Do you think that if they're able to consistently play with more pace next year um, with him and Kobe White, is that something that ends up benefiting him in the long run as well? Oh, absolutely. Uh, When he was with the Timberwolves, you know, he was such a dynamic transition player. Ricky Rubio is so great at throwing those outlet passes to him. Didn't really have anything like that with the Bulls. And the times where they were able to get out in transition – He's, he's just so dynamic. Like You can't really stop him in the open court. So the Bulls, I, I mentioned before, their offense was 29th last year. They're the number two offense in the league in February when they were running even a little bit more. They still weren't league average in transition. But uh, if, if they can push more, I think that White is going to put a lot of pressure 
on Boylan. And also, as I mentioned before, these assistant coaches, all this stuff is going to create pressure for him to get this team moving. If he can, I think Levine is going to be one of the biggest beneficiaries of that. A lot of people seemed down on Markin by the end of uh, his sophomore season. I know he opened the year with the uh, the sprained uh, right elbow. Is it? Are you at all concerned? I know he was ice cold after the All Star break, but is there anything? Is there anything really to be red? Is there any real red flags there? Is there something that you're specifically looking for him um, in year three? Is it more shots off the dribble or post work of uh, showing that he can create for others? Are, were we maybe expecting too much out of him as an offensive player? It does seem, just compared to his rookie season to the end of his sophomore season, it does seem like the assessments and perception of him is sort of tilted a little bit. So Markham had a really strange sophomore season, and I am assuming that most people are not following the Bulls very closely, so they're not familiar with with it exactly. So he, uh, he started the year off uh, injured with this sprained elbow, came back, kind of slowly, and then had this incredible February where Boylan started letting him bring the ball up off rebounds. Uh, he was great in transition. In those 10 games in February, he averaged 26 points and 12 rebounds. Uh, and o- overall for the year, he still had a pretty good year. I think he was at like 19 and 9. But uh, what happened in March was uh, the Bulls played this quadruple overtime game in Atlanta. It was a terrific game, but Markin played 54 minutes in that game. And after that, that game was uh, wild. Yeah, he he uh, just wasn't the same player and ended up having to sit out the end of the season with what the Bulls termed extreme fatigue. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of, you mentioned that he didn't play quite as well after the All-Star break. I think that you can point to that game as why. And he had some sort of heart palpitations or something, and it wasn't exactly clear what happened. But uh, I So there are these stretches of his season where he looked like he was taking a huge leap stretches where he kind of looked like he was the same player as his rookie year and I really don't know what's taken from that I mean obviously you like to see more consistency from him but year three is going to be really big for him it's going to show a clearer picture hopefully he stays healthy um and yeah I think that a lot of his season was just dependent on how he was being used that beginning stretch too, Boylan was trying to post up all of his players, uh, Markinen especially, and that's not really his game. I mean, his game is more attacking bigs off the dribble. He can put on the floor against slower defenders, and then obviously he's just like a lights-out three-point shooter. So as far as areas of improvement, I don't think there's anything in particular that I want to see Markinen improve on. I just want to see him used better. There was, I was So in anticipation of this podcast, I was watching – a a lot of uh, Markkinen's possessions last season. And I just, it, it never registered or I never read it throughout the season. There are just so many times where um, the ball was given to him like too late in the shot clock for him to do anything. And he was just forced to take these tough fadeaways yeah. from the post. And it was yeah, just, it was, it was infuriating to watch. Yeah, <laughs> it was, I just had no, so I looked it up and he was like, he led the team in late shot clock opportunities between seven and four, like frequency of a shot attempts that came between seven and four seconds left on the shot clock. And I was like, that is like almost, that is so disingenuous to his offensive development. Yeah. He was definitely forced to bail out the bulls on a lot of these possessions. And uh, I mean, they would get the ball across half court, uh, barely avoiding a violation. And they basically just waste time and then throw it to him and expect him to create something out of nothing. He was okay in that role, but yeah, I, he, he's he's more of an early offense player. I mean, he was tailor made for you know these drag screen sets in transition where he can just pick and pop and destroy teams. So I, I think that he can take a pretty big leap if if the Bulls just use him a little bit better. Do you and we, so we've talked about the importance of them and, and how they did increase the pace as the season went on. Uh, they were still, I think, in the bottom half of the league in pace after the All Star break. Do you think it's something that Boylan and his staff will? be committed to, to like, we'll see the bulls and, and watch them all year next year for, you know, just to start out just for the, the first couple of months. And we'll, we'll see that noticeable difference in the speed at which they're playing. Or does it, are you at all worried that, you know, maybe boiling results to just his, his original tendencies? Well, you have to be worried after watching last year because you see how different of a team they are when they play slowly, but the bulls are saying all the right things. Boylan is adamant that, you know, they're going to play faster. He's, he said it, uh, multiple times throughout 
uh, the end of last year. And John Paxson, when he introduced these guys, the the rookies, a couple days ago, he said that yes, you know, the Bulls are committed to playing with pace. So, yeah, I'm I'm gonna give them a chance, and hopefully, you know, they they uh, follow up those words with uh, actual actions on the court. How do you feel about Wendell Carter Jr.'s fit in what the Bulls are trying to do? His assist percentage and yeah, fair disclosure. Wendell Carter Jr. is fantastic. I, for some reason, was just not about him coming into last year's draft. And I'm not a draft guy either. It's something that I crammed for leading up to it. But I should have listened to all the smarter people who just said that he was going to be amazing. Because I feel like you watch him and you could tell he has a good feel for the game. But his assist percentage did plummet when Boylan took over. And I'm wondering whether he'll be given a real opportunity to expand his range on offense. I'm not even talking like, you know, if Bowen results to having players run the offense, resorts to having players run the offense through the post, it actually bodes well for him. But there was, you know, him coming out of college, it was he might be able to be someone who actually can shoot in semi-volume from beyond the arc in time. And so I'm wondering whether he'll even have an opportunity to do that. Do you see... A consistent role for him and what Boylan's trying to do or does the way he was used before his uh last year's thumb injury does does that concern you at all either I feel like that's been my prevailing question is are you concerned about this are you concerned about that so I apologize <laughs> but there seem to be so many question marks on this team in that regard well they were a 22 win team so it's fair to be concerned about a lot of things and I I think I feel like for every question you've asked me I've mentioned some sort of frustration with what Boylan did and Carter is not going to be any different there. <laughs> so uh, I thought that he had a really good start to the year under Hoiberg. And then, yeah, when they made this coaching change in December, Carter was probably the player that was hurt the most by it. Um, his game at Duke, I really liked his game at Duke. I thought he was going to be a, a big impact player for the Bulls. And uh, the idea of him was that he was this big man that could spread the floor. He shot 41% on threes at Duke and he shot 40% in the summer league where I, I watched him. I mean, he was, he was a great shooter out there. And then he comes to the bulls only hit 19% of his threes as a rookie. So that's a big part of his game that was just gone. He, it seemed like Boylan had some sort of instruction to not let him shoot. He only shot eight, three pointers in 19 games after Boylan took over. And what you saw teams doing was sagging way off and they were sagging like 10 feet off of him. And he would not, he just wouldn't shoot the ball. He would just like do these dribble handoffs and stuff. And again, like he was a player where Boylan would just instruct his point guards to throw it into him in the post and try to isolate him there. And he's an undersized center. He would be going up against much bigger guys. That's not really his game either. Um, and he, he did not really do well in that role. So I think that he has way, way more than what he showed as a rookie. And hopefully Bulls are going to, try to tailor their offense to fit him a little bit better this season. Is there a danger of him getting lost in the shuffle a little bit when you look at having White and Levine and Markman on the roster and then depending on how big of a role, you know, Valentin ends up playing, it just seems like there are a lot of guys on the perimeter who are going to want to have the ball in their hands, which is when you're big, that's something you're used to, but a, a lot of those players, their first inclination is to finish plays. And so when you look at how good, uh, Wendell Carter Jr. can be as a passer. I'm wondering if that becomes almost counterintuitive to ever expanding or honing his role on the offensive end. Well, Carter's an extremely unselfish player. I mean, he was supposed to be the guy going into Duke, and then Marvin Bagley committed late. And Carter was fine in that role. He he was he and Bagley were great at Duke. Uh, he was really good at throwing those high-low passes, throwing up lobs, and you saw hints of that on the Bulls. Uh, I think he and Markkanen worked great together on paper, and unfortunately, we didn't get to see a ton of that because of injuries last year. That's probably the thing that I'm most excited about this year. Um, so I, th I think Carter's a guy where you don't really have to call a ton of plays for him. He's just so such, such a smart player, has such good instincts. Um, and yeah, I, I think that he's, he's going to be a lot better this year. How do you feel about the frontcourt uh, fit with uh, Carter Jr., Markkanen, and Otto Porter. We saw zero possessions from them last year, I believe, thanks to all those those injuries. And so I'm wondering how you think that's going to end up being. It seems like it's going to end up being fire on offense. In theory, all of those guys can shoot. Uh, the Bulls could go with some five-out lineups. Yeah, I am I just hope that they let Carter shoot the ball. Uh, <laughs> it, I mean, it, it really hampered his offense. It's, it's just such a huge part of his game. So, yeah, I, I think that it has the potential to be really good, as you said.
do you so when Otto Porter was traded to the Bulls, his pick and roll volume as as the initiator more than tripled. Is that a development or a trend that you think is going to be there to stay, or was that more the byproduct of them being so bereft of, of playmakers in general? And now if you you know you sign a, a veteran in free agency, you draft Kobe White, is there the potential that we're gonna see that number just plummet? Or do you think they're genuinely interested in, in trying to to expand or test the depths of of what Porter can do on offense. When they made this trade for Porter, I was not a huge fan of it. And then he exploded in his games (laughs) with the Bulls. He couldn't miss a shot. And as you said, his role changed. He didn't run a lot of pick and roll with the Wizards. And all of a sudden, he was going to isolations. He was running pick and rolls. I mean, he had a very expanded role on this team. And he was great at it. He was very, very efficient. So I think the Bulls are definitely going to allow him to uh, continue to play in in that type of role, see exactly what he can do. I mentioned this multiple ball handler system, so Porter was great at that too. He's a good rebounder. He just push the ball up the court and let him initiate stuff. Uh, I, I'm not like a huge fan of you know the mid range game, but he's one of the best in the league at it, and he he would just drill these shots and pick and roll uh, elbow jumpers. So yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm very excited, too, to see what Porter does. Uh, he only played uh, 15 games with the Bulls, so really small sample. We don't know how much of that is real, how much of that was just fluky shooting, and it'll be interesting to see. Do you think there's going to be room at all for um, lineups where maybe you know he's at the four and we see Martin at the five if they really want to lean into offense or just to get Porter minutes at the four in general, even if uh, Wendell Carter Jr. is the – de facto big man because I do still think there's something to that small ball power forward role might actually end up being Porter's best utility on the offensive side anyway oh yeah I think Porter's a a great small ball for I'm more reticent to play Markinen at the five just because uh, he doesn't really provide much if any rim protection wasn't really great acting as a low man on defense. Uh, you know, he's, he misses quite a few rotations. It's something that he needs to improve on. But um, like a Porter at the four, Carter at the five, I think is a really good lineup. Um, you know, it just, it just depends on who you slot in at that five position. Um, looking at sort of the margins of their roster, so Denzel Valentin doesn't play at all last season. They I, they seem like they're out on Chris Dunn, but not really out on him. There were some uh, postseason comments that were then walked back. Um, I have zero feel for Chandler Hutchinson's game, and I'm actually wondering, my one question is, is that weird? But also, of those three, who's more important to this team's future, in your opinion? Yeah, Dunn seems to be out. I mean, Paxson said that they're going to give him a chance, <laughs> basically because he's under contract, and it seems like his... Trade value is pretty much zero at this point, so he's going to have a chance. I just don't really have faith that he's going to do anything with that opportunity. And then Valentine and Hutchison, that is their wing rotation behind Otto Porter. Neither of those guys has proven. Valentine has been so injury-prone throughout his career. He was red-flagged in the draft, so you can't really count him. I think anything you get from him is going to be a bonus. And you said you don't know really what you uh, what to expect from Hutchison, and that is totally understandable because... He was basically just a guy out there. I mean, he he played. I thought he played pretty good defense. He seemed to have a good understanding of, you know, team defense, where to go on help rotations, things like that. But as far as his offense, he was he was invisible. His the idea of him was that he was going to be this three and D player. His three pointer was all over the place, uh, really really inconsistent. And then his percentage was terrible. He only shot twenty percent of them. He only took one per game too. So the volume has to come way up uh he he was very successful at boise state by getting to the line a ton and he was their basically their primary initiator on offense and his role changed a lot he he wasn't able to really adjust very well to the physicality of the nba and his strength of schedule at boise state was was pretty weak i think it was like the hundredth toughest schedule or something like that and you saw it in summer league too that he wasn't able to finish over these bigger athletes that was something that he struggled with in the NBA, so not really a terribly promising rookie year, to be totally honest with you. He did show flashes where, you know, he had some good games, and then actually, like, he was improving as the year went on, and he got hurt uh, right probably as he was hitting his peak, but his peak still wasn't very high. So, yeah, not 
not super high on Hutchison, but it's still definitely too early to count him out totally. What is it? I, I don't remember what it was that I was talking about, but a few Bulls fans ended up in my mentions just crapping on Denzel Valentine. Is it? Is this just an issue of he's been too injury prone? Uh, is he too, is his ceiling too limited? I just look at someone who has shot the three ball well um, on some difficult attempts through the first two years of his career. And obviously he loses all of year three. I just almost feel like, is he out of place with this team? Or, you know, from again, from a distance, I'm thinking someone someone who can knock down the three is someone who ends up helping this offense a great deal if he stays healthy. Yeah, the pull-up three-point shooting, is that such a premium in the NBA these days? And Valentine, in his second year, he was top five in percentage. I think he was, I think he was around 40% on pull-up threes, which is an incredible number. So that's definitely an NBA skill, but that's pretty much all that he does. He... He's allergic to the paint. Uh, he relies on a very awkward floater, which he, he actually developed like a decent touch on as the year went on, but never gets to the foul line, never drives. And then his defense is very, very bad. He's just, I think you need like a baseline athleticism to play in the NBA. He was one of the worst players in the combine in a lot of those measurements uh, when he came into the draft. And he, he he just doesn't have the athleticism to really compete or the size to compete on defense. So it's always going to be a huge negative on that end. And uh, I, I do think that he brings a lot of value with the shooting, though. I think that he can be a rotation player. So the guys that are just totally counting him out, I mean, maybe he never recovers from the injuries. I think that's reasonable to think that that's a possibility. But I think his shooting alone is enough to, if he does stay healthy, that's enough to make him a, a rotation player, at least, in the league. Harry's Razors is helping Blue Wire listeners with a better shaving experience. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. Enough with the cheap razors. Go try Harry's now. It's just $3 for our loyal listeners. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your official trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure to go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for only $3. They're also getting more towards their offseason stuff. They're in this weird spot where they have a, a few potentially key free agents, but no one that I think you can look at and deem pivotal. And so I'm wondering who from the gaggle of Robin Lopez, uh, and when you're looking at their non-guaranteed contracts too, you, know, you have Walter Lemon, uh, Shaquille Harrison, Wayne Selden, Ryan Archie Diacono, who from that group should we expect to see back? Do we expect to see any of them back? I can't. I also can't really get a hold of what would what the Bulls think of their incumbent guys who are either on these non guaranteed deals or or entering free agency. I like the use of the word gaggle there. That was good. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Rolo played a huge role for the Bulls. Uh, he supposedly had the opportunity to get bought out and join championship team warriors were speculation but he said he wants to stay with the bulls which is kind of incredible i think the bulls would love to bring him back but he has a huge cap hold there's there's no way that um they're just going to renounce his cap hold and try to bring him back at a lower number i think that he eventually gets priced out the other guys you talked about they'll probably keep one of shaq harrison and ryan archidakino both those guys are kind of one-way players and if, if you combine them, they'd be a pretty good player. But separately, they both have pretty glaring weaknesses. Probably keep Archie Diakono out of those two because he's just like a – he's been with the team longer. They love him. They love his attitude. Uh, but he's like you know an emergency point guard basically. And then Wayne Selden, not really sure what they do with him. Um, you know, he, Like Hutchison, he was just a guy out there basically. He had to play a lot of power forward because they were so short on that position at the end of the year. And that's not really his position, so – it's tough to evaluate him when he's not in that role. And Walt Lemon, I mean, he, he just got a flyer when they needed bodies at the end of the year. I, I think they'll uh, let him go. Are there any free agents that you want or think that the Bulls need to give chase to? Is 
I know point guard was a priority entering the draft. Do you think it's still a priority for them um, after drafting Kobe White? Definitely not as much of a priority. Um, and I've seen, you know, some of the more locked in guys on Twitter, like Bobby Mark, Zach Lowe, uh, saying that some of these guys are that the Bulls were supposedly targeting. They're going to get some big money this offseason. Patrick Beverly, I think Mark said that. He could get an offer as much as like fifteen million a year, multiple yeah, years. Yeah, I was listening to that. I'm pretty sure my eyes literally touched my eyebrows when he said that. I'd always yeah. assumed he'd be. I knew. I thought maybe in like the ten or eleven million dollar range at most, fourteen or fifteen caught my attention. That's just way too much for a twenty-two win team to be paying their point guard. I mean, he might bring them up to, you know, maybe they could get in like the low thirties, but he seems like a player more where you know you're trying to add add pieces to become a legitimate contender and then Malcolm Brogdon was another name that Bulls fans really wanted Um, but it looks like the Bucks are clearing off a bunch of cap space to try to keep him they just made that Snell trade so uh, he might be priced out Uh, I think that what the Bulls have done in the past is kind of let the market come to them they might do that this year there's so many players that are free agents especially at point guard I I read that might be as much as like two-thirds of the league that's uh, going to be entering free agency, so I think they're just going to try to find like a bargain guy that doesn't get signed towards the end of that period. You wouldn't throw Beverly like an overbid in that price range if it was like a two season deal or something, just to have that type of veteran presence and defensive grit around these young impressionable minds. Not to be too profound about it, but <laughs> well, what I would like to see the Bulls do, and they have not done this at all throughout their rebuild, is leverage their cap space for draft picks it looked like that wasn't really a possibility uh last year when teams were holding on to these first round picks so tightly but you, know, you saw in this uh this this draft that it seems like those picks are back up on the market and i just don't really think that the benefit they get from getting a guy like pat bev who is, is definitely going to help the team like you said he's going to be a really good veteran mentor for these guys too but I just, I just think that the Bulls are so bereft of talent aside from their top guys. They were playing so many fringe NBA players at the end of the year um, that they need to get as much young talent on this roster as possible. So I would like to see them um, just take on some salary. There's some players, too, that could help them. Uh, I mentioned the Bucks before. They're still probably shopping uh, Ersan Ilyasova. That could be a backup four. The Bulls need another backup four. Mm-hmm. They could get like a, a pick out of that deal. Um, they have a, around $20 million of space to work with. So, uh, yeah, I think they should either use that on multiple players because they are so shallow in their roster or yeah, use it to, to get some more picks. Would a name like, a if you're going the multiple player, route, would a name for point guard, like a Tyus Jones interest you? I mean, he can't really run a pick and roll. He's been really turnover prone in those situations, but he's just another gritty defensive presence and he's. I'm always surprised to see he's still only 23, so he seems to fit Chicago's timeline. And it's not, again, it's not a splashy move, but it's like you said, the focus or the the urgency to find another point guard, it has to diminish at least a little bit after uh, taking White. Yeah, I I would be okay with Tyus Jones. Uh, I think that he didn't really get a a chance to show what he could do with uh, Tom Thibodeau for whatever reason. Tibbs didn't really seem to like him, but he, he can't really shoot. Uh, Bulls have had problems, you know, with these point guards that can't shoot. They they need someone who can spread the floor. Actually, one restricted free agent target that I really like is not a true point guard, but I think he can play some point guard in a pinch. Is a uh, Sadoransky on the Wizards? Yes. Yeah, I think he's a really underrated player. These are the types of guys that I would like to see the Bulls go after. It's just really high IQ players. You could throw Jones in that mix too, but uh, you know, just basketball players that you know they're not they're not great necessarily at any one thing but they can just fill a lot of roles really well they can play on both ends of the court and be solid and that's what the bulls have been missing they they are not a particularly high iq team so i think they could benefit from uh adding those types of guys sadaransky would be a fantastic fit and i'm fascinated to see what he would end up fetching on the open market just because he's not ultra aggressive but he can get into the lane and he's really good at at finding guys and i think one of the primary benefits, and it's almost a must, is that you need to play both on and off the ball. And he, you know, he, his career began next to John Wall and, and Bradley Beal. And he, I think it was last season, he averaged about as many 
points per spot up possession as Joe Harris, which is a good number to be at. And so to put him on this Bulls team when you have Levine, also another rookie guard that you have to you want to give touches to so that he can really go through his motions, uh, that would be I don't know what the number would be to get him from Washington. It helps if the Wizards don't want to sign someone who's going on twenty eight, I believe, in that twenty seven to twenty eight range because they think they're staring down a rebuild. But if his number is I have I don't know what his number is going to end up being. I know they talked about an extension in Washington with him during the season. I'm curious to see if there is a team that comes with an offer sheet that maybe creeps above, like noticeably or appreciably above the $10 million per year mark. Yeah, I kind of expect him to get somewhere around MLE money, but um, I think the Wizards would be pretty hesitant to match if, yeah, you go much above that. They, I mean, they have some restricted free agents that they have to resign to. They have, I think... Thomas Bryan and Bobby Portis, both restricted free agents, and it seems like they're going to let um, Parker walk, Jabari Parker walk. But uh, I, I think that the Bulls should be aggressive with these restricted free agent offer sheets because, as I said before, they're probably just going to let the market come to them anyway. So I don't really see that much um, downside from locking up their money early and seeing putting some pressure on a team. The one thing I'll say, and you were right, there's I was just going through the list of free agent point guards there are so many but there also it, there seems to be like a dearth of established or i think a talent that's really worth an investment so the bulls could probably get themselves if they have to pivot into trouble um pretty quickly or at least i more so agree more than ever with your stance that they should not be funneling unless they're going to carve out the money to try and get brogdon from milwaukee but that probably takes close to if not his max number so it, it probably is just better than ever for them to take those like smaller time swings when just looking at the the stock of names that are available right now. Yeah, I mean, the, the list of names that have been associated with them from some of the beat guys, so I don't, I don't necessarily know that they have come out and said, I mean, they haven't because that would be tampering. But, <laughs> you know, guys like, guys like Ish Smith, Corey Joseph, you know, just like uh, lower tier point guards that I think you could get for pretty cheap. If you still have some time, we have a few mailbag questions from listeners that I would love to pose to you. Yeah, let's do it. All right. This one comes from, uh, and I apologize for any mispronunciations here. This one comes from Danelle Brown at D-A-N-N-E-L-L-Z. I have not heard much buzz on it, but what are the chances that Derrick Rose comes back to Chicago? I think they're pretty low, to be totally honest. Um doesn't really fit with what the Bulls are trying to do right now he shot the ball extremely well in first half of the season with the Timberwolves and he had that 50 point game but if you look at how he closed the year uh his three-point shot just totally fell off and you know I said before the Bulls need a guy who can play off the ball uh off Zach Levine and spread the floor so I don't think Rose is really that guy he could be like a nice bench point guard like a Six man, um, and I don't really know that he would want to come to a team in in the Bulls stage of rebuild where you know they're not going to really be that competitive. I know he still loves the city, he still loves Chicago, but I don't really see it as a a good fit for either side. Yeah, uh, Derrick Rose's numbers were just his shooting percentage anyway from deep was very much inflated by his early season performance. He was never going to shoot. I think it was at the time like fifty percent on pull up threes, yeah. and he ended up shooting under twenty four percent from three over his final thirty appearances before his injury. So I, I would definitely put myself in your camp that the, the chances I would say should be slim. Frustrated underscored bulls fan at ashamed bulls fan. <laughs> <laughs> Can Corey Joseph be an effective starter defensive mentor for Kobe white? Are there any teams that could, and he also asked, are there any teams he or she asked, are there any teams that could use Chris Dunn and be willing to trade for him? I don't think Chris Dunn has very much trade value. Um, maybe you could, I don't know, maybe you could sw- swing a trade with the Pelicans for Lonzo Ball. It seems like he doesn't really want to be there, and the Bulls would definitely have to add stuff on their side, but that could be a basis of a trade, perhaps. I don't really know. Uh, and then Corey Joseph as a, a starter, I, I think that he's you know a fringe starter. He's definitely not going to be like an above-average starter in the league, but probably better than anything else the Bulls have on the roster right now. And, you know, White is hopefully going to eclipse him one day, but I don't think he's going to be, uh, I, I think that he's, he's really going to struggle if he's playing against first units, uh, when the bulls open the season. Yeah. He was not good on offense for Indiana last year, but he's, 
I think he was a. I think someone could have voted for him for giving him an all defense selection in the guards category, and that would have been a totally justified pick. So that's at least. I don't know how important you know a le- or infectious a leading by example type of thing is, but he tries his butt off on defense, which you know if you get him at the right number, I think that's an interesting investment for them. Uh, this question comes from Fred at nineteen thirty three. Was a bad year. Uh, will they sign Jabari Parker? I'm hoping this is sarcastic, but I figured. Well, will the Bulls sign Jabari Parker? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. There's zero chance that that will ever happen again. You can say that pretty confidently. <laughs> um, that's it. The other questions are just a little bit too tongue in cheek and blatantly anti Bulls. The one question. <laughs> this is actually. I'll throw this one out there. Jake Johnson at Sir Jacob Patrick. Will they look to trade their coach and front office? <laughs> the only thing I'll say is I'm willing to give Jim Boylan a chance. The front uh, office probably has used up all its goodwill. Do they did they ever have any? But I'm willing to give as an, a very outside bystander. I'm willing to give Jim Boylan a chance. So this is what I'll say about uh, Garpax: is you know Bulls fans are probably the most pessimistic fan base in the league, uh, myself included, and it's for good reason. But I think that there is a lot of reason for legitimate optimism on this team. They have some good players. They have a clean cap going forward. They're going to have good picks in the future. I think that if the if they do ever make a change in management, that could just make such a huge difference. I mean, you see what uh, David Griffin has done in New Orleans so quickly. Just the impact that a good general manager has, even even just like a competent general managing mm-hmm. team has on a franchise. Uh, the Bulls are so, so locked into Gar Foreman and John Paxson, though, that it's not realistic to think that they're going to get rid of either anytime soon. So, yeah, it's it's really tough. I mean, it's very, very tough to um, be optimistic for the long-term future of this team. Well, Stefan, I appreciate you giving me um, so much of your time. It was absolutely a pleasure to talk the future of the Bulls with you. If you guys are not following Stefan on Twitter just yet, you need to change that immediately. Immediately. Uh, he is at Steph No. That's at S-T-E-P-H-N-O-H. And he is in covers the NBA for the Athletic Chicago. So be sure to check out his stuff. His latest on Kobe White uh, over there was absolutely great and helped me a great deal before this podcast. So check that article out or and definitely subscribe to The Athletic so you can check it out if you have not done so already. Once again, Stefan, thank you so much. I'm sure I'll be pestering you again down the line. And until next time, I leave everybody else with the shout-out to the one and only, the legendary Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.